every one of you who confesses Jesus as Lord of the universe signs up for a significance beyond anything you ever dreamed. And I mean business men and women here, homemakers, students, to belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations. Your heart was made for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Made for Missions podcast, where our heart is to mobilize Christians towards the Great Commission. For more information, go to my website at mikefalkenstein.com. That's Mike Falkenstein, F-A-L-K-E-N-S-T-I-N-E.com. And to find out more about our ministry projects worldwide, go to our ministry website, 18catalyst.org. Thanks for joining us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for this, the 43rd episode of the Made for Missions podcast. I am Mike Falkenstein, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. And I'm here again with my co-host, Ken Watmore. And so, Ken, today's kind of an exciting day in the ministry. We've been, over the last 11 years, China Resource Center. And uh, we've been serving the growth of the church in rural China. And those projects that we were doing have kind of come to a if not a com- complete conclusion, at least enough where we felt like we've been asking God to kind of for what's next. And as he's answered that question, we felt like it was important to change the name of our organization. And so today, you know, we're recording this um, episode on July 1st. So today's the first day that we're now known officially as 1-8 Catalyst. And it's kind of an exciting, we've got some exciting opportunities, don't we? Yeah, this is this is a good time for sure, and I'm excited for you and the direction of this ministry and what you guys have coming up. I'm looking forward to seeing what God's doing with it. Yeah, yeah, it'll be really fun. It'll be great not only to be able to educate people on what is the Great Commission, uh, kind of their involvement, and of course we've done some of that with this podcast even, and so, you know, I really think that you know, the evangelization of the world is dependent on more and more people, you know, getting involved in one way or another. And so, yeah, whenever Jesus gives us com- it's a, a command, we got to take it seriously, don't we? Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, that's really for sure. So, so yeah, for those that are interested in learning more about 1-8 Catalyst, of course, you can go to our website, which is 1-8, and the 1 and the 8 are spelled out in word form, 1-8catalyst.org. Uh, we've got some Bible translation projects overseas and, you know, theological training and potentially a new opportunity in North Korea, So, which I'd love to talk about in a, in a future episode. But for now, Ken, we have the, for this episode of the podcast, we've got another Made for Missions country profile. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about the country of Japan. And yeah, with uh, with actually not all that many people as evangelical Christians in Japan, uh, it's important for folks to know kind of what's happening there and maybe to get involved in it. Yeah. You know, it's funny because Japan is a place where just from what I see in travel and documentary, it's a place I've always wanted to go, you know, Mm. so where I feel like we're called to go certain places from a mission standpoint. This is one of those places where selfishly I want to go there because uh, as a tourist. Oh, right. (laughs) But I I want to, I would, maybe the opportunity is there to go do missions, right? And then, and link the two together somehow. But it's an interesting place. And I've always been intrigued from everything I've ever seen about Japan. So this is a a great show. I'm looking 
looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. I've been through the Tokyo airport, so technically I've been on <laughs> Japanese soil, but ne- but never left. And so I'm kind of like you. It'd be fun to spend a few days and get to know the country a little bit. So on these country profiles, Ken, I know you like to ask me a couple of questions and I've done a little research and you know I'm hoping that the content that we provide today will spur on some folks to maybe God will use it to lead some folks to in one way or another either to pray for Japan or to be able to actually visit there. Maybe there's some missions teams at some churches that have been praying, and so this content may be helpful for them. So, yeah. So you ready to go? Yeah, for sure. Great. I I know that you have talked about doing, you know, we always talk about the history of the country and mm-hmm. such. And I know that your direct, direction now is really to, to give a little history of the country, but also to tell us, you know, how the information about the place applies to missions in particular. But let's start with just giving us a little bit of information that you've learned about the history of Japan. Yeah, well, it's a very interesting history. And actually, you know, I have a general interest not only just in history, but in particular the history of East Asia. You know, my bachelor's degree is in Asian studies, and so I did a little bit of. I actually had to learn some of this for my degree program. So yeah, it's a, uh, and you know how the Japanese history inter- intersects with China and Korea and whatnot. It's very interesting. But you know, Japan is a country that has had a very, very long history in the, in the in kind of in the area of just about as long as the history of China. A little bit different than China in that it's you know overseen by initially an emperor and then a shogun. You've probably heard that term. Shogun is just a you know it's a provincial leader. You know they they com- they remain completely blocked off to any foreigner uh, in involvement or any foreigners at all until the 1500s when missionaries and traders started to arrive in Europe. At that time, again, they were ruled by the shogun, who were warlords who were supposed to respect and pay homage to the emperor. And so, you know, we see that in the social status today. You know, it was in the late 1800s, after much contact with the outside world, that the Japanese did everything to modernize. And so that's actually a very interesting part of Japanese history where we're, we're talking about really before the 1500s, it was a very simplistic society, actually. And boy, once they got contact with the Western world, they caught on to this idea that, hey, we need to do everything we can to modernize. And they revised their educational system, their military system, their law system, and, and much more. And so to the point where they really felt like the the systems in those areas that they had in the past were old and ineffective and actually some of them worked pretty well i think but you know they kind of they kind of rejected a lot of their history and so today you know the the social status was kind of developed kind of in that in that area right where the samurais at the top followed by peasants um, artisans finally merchants ranked in that order and we kind of still see that today you know part of their modernization was their military of course and so we know a lot about the you know the military history of japan and the the first two world wars and how they kind of went off you know and actually world war one they were a part of the allies and in in world war two they were not and there's a long history that goes to goes to that as well but you know particularly for for um, missionary interest or missionary activity you know when the japanese lost in World War II. 1945 was a real turning point in Japanese history, and it shaped their entire government, right? I mean, the occupation of Japan 
which we all know about, led by the Americans. There was a rewriting of their constitution to make it not so, yeah, aggressive or militaristic, right? And so they actually, the the foreign occupiers actually removed their, mil- their, their, their army because it had done such damage. And, you know, then we see this period of really the Japanese taking what they'd learned in sort of their modernization and turning that towards their economy. And so, you know, today, Ken, as you know, many of our best consumer goods that we receive, everything about Sony and JVC and, I mean, all these Japanese companies, cars, of course, you know, your industry and how they've really dominated that and they've really turned their focus from what they were doing well in building military systems into stuff like cars and motorcycles and things that they could sell. So, you know, now their economy is right there about, you know, the second largest economy in the world, which you think about it, a series of islands, a country that's only about the size of the state of California, uh, that's really something in it. It sure is. And I, I don't think that it's, I don't know, maybe when we think about it, maybe it's just me, but when we think about it, I don't I don't know that we always put it in perspective in how small a place that it is, right? That's uh, right. And and what an impact it's had globally for so long yeah, that's in different right. ways. And like you said, first, you know, militaristically, it was, you know, it was it was a a force that's right and then with some serious changes obviously um the, you know now a huge force especially in the automotive industry which i'm so familiar with it's mm-hmm. you know they're it's not just that they have uh great products i mean there are a lot of great products everywhere i think domestically we have some great product now as well what they've what they've gotten really good at is their production styles and yes. their systems that's um, right for inventory controls and things like that they're, they've they've really got something going on differently than everybody else in that area so uh, it's interesting to look at uh, like i said especially from the automotive side how they operate and why it's successful and i know that there's plenty of companies all over the the world that are looking at that and their systems now yeah I that's right being early in my days in the automotive industry and working at a ford location right but having ford rep- representatives bring dominant figures from the Japanese automotive industry into their Ford stores oh. to kind of go through well, what kind of processes do we need to put in place to make this more efficient it's, it's oh, right some, they've done a they've done a good job so yeah they have done a good job so so taking that to something that's more applicable to what we are talking about you know yeah. what tell me you know from from where you're at what's the what's the history of missions and how has that reshaped say you know in this in this time since 1945 but if you can tell us even going back as far as you can yeah sure well again as i mentioned you know the the japanese society was cut off to the rest of the world until the 1500s and the the first known appearance appearance of organized christianity in japan jesuit missionaries came in 1549 and they can they attempted to convert the japanese to roman catholicism you know at first the japanese i think just kind of tolerated them at least partially because it was kind of yeah, they didn't know what a Portuguese, <laughs> well, you know, what what Portugal was. So they're just sort of sort of interested in that. And then you know, in 1571, there was a city. Of course, we know now the city of Nagasaki, which was part of the. Of course, has a big part of the history of World War II, and uh, was founded. That city was founded to trade with the Europeans and to kind of keep them kind of the gateway for Europeans to come. And it became a center of missionary activity. So, you know, we get into the early 1600s and we see this period of success where actually the, you know, the Jesuits and others were successful in their attempts. And as we see in a lot of at least Asian societies, we had the same kind of thing happen in China, you know, after a period of 
uh, success, Christianity in the 16th and 17th, 16th and the 1700s saw a period of persecution. And, uh, and I think part of that was kind of the backlash of the leaders going, gosh, I didn't think this would be so successful, you know, and kind of a threat to their own power. And, hey, we're Japanese and you're not and you need to leave here and whatnot. And so so we get to, you know, that happening throughout the 1700s where, you know, the Christianity was in a decline. And then after a period of uh, persecution, you know, J Japan was opened up in the 1800s. You know, many Christian uh, clergymen were sent from a number of diff different denominations. And then it was really in 1871 that we first see kind of full religious freedom in Japan, giving all the Christian communities the, the legal right to exist. And again, a part of that was that was just kind of as they were entering into modern world, the modern world, they looked around and said, yeah, that's kind of a common thing to do, right? To to be able to have your, have your people have religious freedom. So since World War II, the number of Japanese Christians has been slowly increasing. Although, as we'll talk about in a bit, you know, it hasn't really taken a full hold. And so, you know, and as we'll talk about also, there are a, a number of pretty incredible opportunities for folks who might want to be involved in Japan. Yeah, interesting. I, you know, what I, one, we hear about a lot of countries and probably the, you know, in a lot of churches, I, I think I hear the same countries over and over again where missionaries are, you know, really being sent and going and the, the mission field is flourishing, right? But Japan is not a place I hear about ever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, right. I can't remember really being at any church where I've heard that they have a strong Japanese missions outreach there. So it's, you know, when you say slowly increasing, and as you'll talk about after our break in a little bit, you know, it seems like slowly is maybe really, really slowly. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, that there's not a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so then what do we do, right? How do we, yeah. how do we get more involved? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, and I'll talk about that after the break. There are some uh, kind of the biggest obstacles to the growth of Christianity because it, it is true that there's kind of this paradigm, I think, in Japan where they just don't, yeah, the intermixing between Christian thought and Japanese society is, you know, is a, is a tough one. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, as you mentioned, Ken, let's go ahead and take our break. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. And we'll look forward to just um, being back after a few words from our friend Tom Muller. Hi, Tom Muller again. I'm often stricken by the passion of the missionaries of the 1800s. They had a clear understanding of the Great Commission command and their responsibility to obey. Listen to a couple of these quotes from these missionary heroes. Hudson Taylor, the first Western missionary to go into the inland provinces of China. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Or how about Henry Martin? missionary to India and Persia. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. It is the same spirit that Mike Falkenstein and the Made for Missions team brings to their calling to mobilize Christians toward the Great Commission. For those who want to join Mike and the team with that same zeal, I would encourage you to visit MikeFalkenstein.com and peruse the website and join Mike and his team in mobilizing Christians toward the Great Commission. Well, welcome back, folks. We appreciate you joining us today as we talk about the Japan 
country profile for Made for Missions, and Mike has given us a lot of information so far. We want to talk a little bit now. We've gone through kind of a, a little brief history of the country and kind of a history of missions and, and where, where we're at now in this conversation is, you know, what's going on? now in Japan and what, you know, what can we do to get involved? Well, I just said, or I don't hear a lot about missions, outreach opportunities in Japan. Um, and, you know, and, and there's probably a reason that you don't, and yet we still have an obligation to, to go and that's right um, to be involved. So Mike, tell us where, you know, yeah. where's the church at now in Japan and, and why are some of those numbers slowly, slowly moving? Yeah. Thanks, Ken. So Today in Japan, Christians comprise about uh, 1% of the Japanese population. And so, you know, the kind of the numbers on that, how it translates, there's about 7,700 Protestant churches. So there is a Christian witness in Japan. Uh, there are Japanese who are believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, that translates to about one Protestant church for every just about, just over 16,000 people. And, you know, although you think about it, one percent of a population would make Japan one of the least evangelized nations in the world. And so, Ken, this might be a good time, by the way, to make a quick distinction, because a few episodes ago we talked about unreached, unengaged. You know, we wanted to define those terms. And neither would the Japanese people be unreached or unengaged. I mean, they're very engaged, and they are technically reached in that there is a Christian witness there. There is kind of this third term, which is unevangelized. And so, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, a place where technically there are churches, but there are not all that many, you know, believers in that place. And so, you know, can reasons why that we see the, you know, the only 1% of the Japanese population uh, being Christian. And you think about, boy, the Christian missionaries have been at this since the 1500s. You know, you would think that it would be a larger percentage, right? But there are some pretty big obstacles to the growth of Christianity. And, you know, I mean, leaders in Japan, as in governmental leaders, most of them secular, uh, have characterized their own nation as a superpower without a moral compass. And so, you know, they even recognize that, you know, that there's not a guiding, they're not a set of guiding maybe moral principles or spiritual principles. And so, you know, they've even realized that. But, you know, obviously uh, Buddhism has done quite well in Japan. And so you see these uh, growths of these Buddhists, uh, Buddhist offshoots, you know, many new schools of Buddhism, you know, which often manifest themselves into rather strange cults. So that's, you know, that's kind of a part of what we see. So you've got these people in these Buddhist cults and you're trying to reach them and they've already got a different, you know, a different mindset. Again, there's these other new cults that you see that, you know, young people in particular today, you know, who've been raised in good homes and have been educated uh, good universities, you know, uh, sometimes would abandon their careers to join these cults and demand that demand extreme loyalty. And this is actually a big issue that we hear about from from uh, missionaries who are there. And Ken, I mean, you know, you can imagine in both of these things. I mean, when you're dealing with cult activity in a country, it's going to make uh, missionary activity just that much more difficult, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm curious. Um, do you, do you know? Is there a? Is I mean, is there a violent contingent? Like you know, we've heard so much about the persecuted church in different areas of the world, and again, not hearing about a lot of outreach 
going on, even though it's going on, right? But not a lot, not to the extreme where we hear in every one of our churches about Africa and, you know, you know right. the, the Golden Triangle and things like that. I mean, we is there a real strong persecuted church kind of situation going on in Japan? And are there violent contingents to where it's really a dangerous oh. thing? It doesn't seem like it. Right. No, I don't think so. You know, everything that I've read does not indicate that there's necessarily persecution, although... I think that, you know, earlier I talked about kind of how the social status has developed in Japan, where there are different, definitely social classes in mm. Japan. And so when you, I think it's true, when you become a Christian and you are Japanese, you know, you're put in sort of a, I don't want to call it a lower, you know, lower class, but you're, sure. but certainly someone that wants to attain to kind of a higher social status wouldn't think about becoming a Christian. So mm. it's kind of a... Uh, maybe not persecuted, but maybe called that a marginalized group right, of right. people, something like that. Yeah. Interesting. I, I think there's so much to learn about them. And I wonder, you know, because of their business drive and they're so savvy in the world of production and things like that, if even they're, you know, in in a lot of ways, business becomes their religion. Oh, you right. Know, and that, and bet, that drive so, for, yeah. for success in that area becomes a religion, even apart from Buddhism. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so then uh, in terms of these obstacles, you know, I've got a couple of others. There's one that, you know, is interesting that because a lot of missionaries who are in, in uh, Japan talk about the, you know, the uniqueness of Jesus and the way that the Japanese have a problem with that, right? And one of the greatest challenges that Christians face is that of seeking to proclaim that Jesus Christ as the one true and living God, right? Many Japanese would be happy to embrace him as a as another great teacher. However, they consider our claims concerning Christ to be arrogant and offensive. And so obviously, you know, that's a big hurdle to mm. overcome as well, right? Sure. So, and then finally, this we see this in a lot of Asian countries in particular, but there is a pressure to conform that, you know, pressure on Christians to conform within Japan's homogeneous culture is something sometimes overwhelming. And, you know, we see this in China and other places too, right? When, when everyone essentially has the same color hair and there's a, there's a very, this is what we look like. This is what we do Mm -hmm. kind of attitude. You know, it's uh, when you, when you, when you pop out of that, there's a lot of pressure <laughs> right. uh, in in there, and so as the proverb goes, uh, the nail that sticks up gets whacked down. Right, <laughs> so we see that in uh, in Japan. So obviously, yeah, I think we could also can couldn't we just take each one of these obstacles as a you know a prayer? Oh yeah, uh, yeah for sure. Deal and to be able to pray of that because I mean we mentioned these obstacles, but at the end of the day, none of them are too big an obstacle for. God to overcome, right? Sure. And actually, I, I think it's encouraging to see the profile of the country as really not a place to be afraid of, right? I mean, it's a... Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, even though you, you may be marginalized, you may get whacked down, uh-huh. it still doesn't seem dangerous, right? I mean, That's it seems right. like a place where you could go and it may be in small chunks, right? You can uh, have a thriving ministry uh, working there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. And I have known some guys that, that have done that. And, you know, for a lot of the missionaries who commit their lives to Japan, it is a, you know, there is there is fruit to be had. And, mm. you know, obviously you're talking about Japan, too, one of the most modern countries in the world. So there's not it's not like living in a mud hut somewhere. I mean, you know, it's right. a, 
I mean, it's a very modern place. Sure. So it's very, it'd be a very nice place to live, I would assume. Sure. And it, I mean, it looks beautiful, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It looks like it would be a nice place to live. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So why don't you tell us maybe, I mean, we as we talked about, and I think some yeah. of these are just the obvious for us, right? But there are current needs and opportunities there. The current needs obviously are for us to, to be able to witness uh, to the Japanese people, to understand the culture, and to, to go there and share Christ, right? That yeah, we know that's that. Right. But talk to us a little bit more about current needs and then opportunities. I know you've discovered there's a couple of people, a couple of uh, groups yeah. um, that are doing right. some good work. And definitely, uh, you know, how do we how do we check those definitely. guys out? Definitely. So, I would say first of all, actually, and I didn't uh, think of this initially in the notes, but you know, Japan is still sending a number of international students to you know Western universities, and so obviously that'd be kind of a level one place if uh, there are folks there that are listening and they go gosh I want to begin just interacting with some Japanese and begin to see if I can you know obviously getting in touch with those organizations at your university who are doing international student ministry would be a good good starting point I know when uh, we were doing international student ministry here at uh, University of Denver we ran across a number of Japanese and so they're definitely still sending you know their people here sure and so that would be kind of a level one opportunity you know there's a, a whole host actually of organizations that are working there I have two in mind you know there's one that's called Asian access and so you can just go to Google and find their their information and they're actively actively recruiting missionaries to go to Japan and then there's another one the acronym is gems j-e-m-s and their website's just j-e-m-s.org and that's the Japan Evangelical Missionary Society and uh, they're doing a lot of good work I've known some of their staff and so and really the in current in terms of the the needs and opportunities, you know, with only 1% of uh, their population Christians, you'd kind of say, hey, the needs run kind of the full gamut, right? So sure. for, uh, mission opportunities. And so without getting into the, 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 the long laundry list of that, what that looks like, certainly there's every opportunity for campus ministry in Japan to, you know, business, uh, you know, opportunities to do ministry with you know business people in japan to you know i know the navigators have started a big um what they think they call the marketplace ministry yep. around the world you know so that kind of thing and you know i'm thinking ken in particular of uh, in that area something along the lines of you know there are more and more more and more christians and more and more people today who retire in their 60s and still are useful healthy you know, and kind of this, you know, ending your ending your career well. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of opportunity for those kind of folks to be able to go. And a lot of times in Asian cultures, in particular, age is looked at with actually reverence and respect. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, so there's a lot of opportunity there. And boy, why not just take ten years and you know, uh, take the 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 experience that you've had in life to to impact Japan, you know, so, yeah, so, but there's, yeah, there's all kinds of opportunities. I'd love to, if there are folks who want to find out more, I am generally a pretty good uh, researcher, plus I know a lot of these folks, and so would love to help people, you know, uh, plug in. So, yeah, there's just kind of all, 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 all manner of opportunities in Japan. So sure. we know and, everywhere there's always, there's always poor, there's always sick. Yeah, that's there's right. There's always orphaned, there's always widowed. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You know, the, um, there's always people to take care of and to get involved with. And ultimately, everywhere, everybody needs to know Christ. And that's yeah, the number that's one right. uh, focus. Yeah, so. that's right. 
So, yeah. So uh, for those that are interested, we'd love to hear from you. Of course, I'm at uh, on Twitter at Missions Mike and Ken's at, at Ken Watmore. Of course, uh, you can go either to the personal website uh, for uh, for my personal ministry or now, of course, the new 1-8 Catalyst uh, website that I mentioned. We'd love to hear from you there. And uh, Ken, any final thoughts from you? Just I, like I said before, this is a place I've always wanted to go. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm intrigued and I want to study a little more. Yeah, that's great. And maybe we could put together uh, some some folks and make a trip. Yeah, sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. And so glad that you've joined us. And uh, we'll look forward to having you on the uh, next episode of the Made for Missions podcast.